Do you love to talk about rescue dogs almost too much? Us too. This is why I created a space where we can celebrate it. This podcast is for those who are passionate about rescue because dogs, whether they're a foster or a new member of your family, they rescue us right back. Each week, we invite a member of the dog rescue community to talk about their passion for rescue dogs and how their life has never been the same. This is Rescue Dog Love, a rescue community podcast. I'm Yamini, and this is my first rescue, Bust. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Rescue Dog Love Podcast, community podcast for those of us who love rescue dogs. Thank you all for your support during my little podcast break. It's been a really busy summer. And now that Yara's been adopted, which is really great news, there's a lot more time for me to dedicate back to this. So I'm really excited to start things off with an amazing guest. We have Haley on this episode from Pause and Reflect. Haley and I talk about a number of really interesting topics. We start off obviously talking a lot about Scout and her journey with Scout, who she describes as a soft, shy dog. We talk about training and how her training approach has changed over time. I think a lot of you will be really interested in what she has to say. We also talk about fostering with a non-dog social dog, which definitely I think is a question a lot of people might have about fostering and whether it's something they can do. Finally, we do talk about um, the health issues that Scout has been dealing with and how that's changed Haley's relationship to Scout. I think it's a really good range of topics, really interesting podcast, and Haley has been an amazing guest. Thank you for listening. If you do enjoy this episode, please give us a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really helps our podcast continue to grow. See you next week. Hi, Haley. Welcome to the Rescue Dog Love Podcast. Hi. It's great to be here. Great to meet you. And thanks so much for joining us. I have been a big fan of your account. I also feel like a bunch of other of my guests have mentioned your account before as just a great place for help and love and just a positive attitude. So I'm just so happy to have you on here. That is so sweet. Oh my goodness. So before we get into the nitty gritty of the podcast, um, my memo on this podcast started was that I just wanted to meet everyone's dogs. Miss Dog Lover, let's chat a little bit about your dog, Scout. Um, Scout is a, we estimate around five-year-old Australian cattle dog mix. She's almost entirely cattle dog, but her DNA test had like the tiniest bit of German Shepherd. So for all intents and purposes, she's a blue healer. I got her a little over three years ago. She came into my hometown's local shelter. She was found as a stray. And I met her when my family was dropping off some Christmas donations. And I wasn't actively looking for a dog. I knew I wanted a dog soon. I had picked a dog friendly apartment on purpose. I had just graduated about six months prior. So it was something I had thought about and I was starting to plan for, but I wasn't necessarily in the thick of the looking for a dog process. I really clicked with her. She reminded me a lot of my family's dog who kind of was my gateway into training and and just really, really fell in love with her, put in the application, was ecstatic when they approved me. Then I I got to bring her home to a third floor apartment in downtown Madison, Wisconsin, which I'm sure people listening are like, oh goodness, why would the shelter give a 21-year-old a cattle dog in a third floor apartment? 
but it's worked out really, really well. I mean, the apartment situation definitely pushed us to learn a lot about training and build a strong relationship. Now we're in Florida. We moved here for my partner's job like two years ago. We finally have a house and a yard. She's been with me through a whole bunch of transition there. And she's just the best. She's super quirky, but super sweet. Kind of afraid of everything depending on the situation, but way, way braver than she's ever been. And yeah, she's just like the best to live with. <laughs> I love of the like starting in an apartment means you have to work a little harder to get the dog acclimatized to its environment and everything but then you get to that you know house with a yard and you can be like okay now you can be free it's like stupid how easy it is to live with her nowadays and it's been less than a week since we said goodbye to our first foster and so the past few days have just felt like like going back to just having one dog around and having that dog be Scout who I've spent the last three years getting to know and and loving and building communication with, it just feels ridiculously easy. I'm so lucky to have her and the way that we fit. And I'm sure the effort you put in is a big part of it as well. Let's get into a little bit about her personality. Tell me how you would describe her like to someone who'd never met her before. I'd actually stick with what the shelter described her as. The first thing that I learned about her were that she was shy, but sweet. And I think that pretty much sums her up in a nutshell. We can go back and forth on the semantics of shy and, you know, exactly if if timid or whatever word is best. But I think shy but sweet really sums it up. She has a super gentle disposition. She's conflict averse. She's like truly such a sweetheart, just a gentle dog. She's a really soft dog um, when it comes to handling pressure and, you know, social interactions, like incredibly submissive, incredibly soft. Definitely a little on the shy side. Um, not as much with people, but she's quite uncomfortable around other dogs, pretty afraid if she doesn't know them, she can reach a really good point of neutrality, but still isn't comfortable with them, you know, being directly in their space. But with that, you know, she doesn't have any desire to start anything. She would like space from other dogs and, you know, would like to not have anything scary happen to her. Um, Shy but sweet. That's the the short summary. (laughs) Is a shyer dog something you would have put on like your list before adopting her? That's such a good question. Kind of a mix. When I was in my second year of college, my family adopted a Siberian Husky, um, actually from the same shelter that I got scout from a few years later. My family's Husky, I would also describe as very shy, but sweet. And so one of the things that first drew me to scout when I saw her at the shelter is that she reminded me of my family's dog. They're both breeds that are known for being really high energy and really bold and a lot to handle. Like, you know, when you think about a husky, when you think about a healer, you think about these these really intense traits, but they were both pretty scared and, you know, a little bit shut down in different ways in different environments. I found that really, really endearing. And I had loved working with my family's husky. I, you know, I wasn't with her full time. It wasn't the same situation as when I got Scout. I kind of fell in love with that personality a little bit. And now that I have Scout, I mean, I just, I couldn't imagine life without her. I do think that 
I would love a more confident dog if I were to get another one. I like to say that Scout's sensitivity is her best and her worst trait. And you you can't have the good without the bad and she's totally worth it. But I think that the experience I had with my family's Husky where she lived in rural Wisconsin with my parents and I visited when I was home from college on the weekends and it was a very quiet neighborhood environment. I mean, like the neighborhood walk was this wooded trail like that was the neighborhood walk so I I do think that I didn't quite have the full perspective of what having a sensitive soft dog like that would look like particularly in the lifestyle that that I live so I, I wish that maybe I had thought about that a little bit more critically it turned out wonderfully in many ways she's what I expected I just wasn't totally conceptualizing like the environmental impacts and, and all of that moving forward I think yeah I think it's definitely something obviously like most shelters or rescues will try to pay attention to but you know you were saying at the beginning oh my god I don't know how they adopted her out to me but you know with the right person I think in terms of like providing that confidence and providing that guidance like obviously you've really taken that on and taken it very seriously so that I think makes a huge difference to helping mitigate those environmental factors my foster I feel like is like a soft dog as well and I'm in the middle of like downtown Toronto so it is quite busy I have a yard but it's faces like a very loud major street I never was sure we've had a few applications for her that I'm like are in the downtown core and I'm like she's doing okay with me but I don't know how this would figure out long term unless the family is just really 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 dedicated to desensitizing her she's just so overwhelmed with the city noises so I'm sure that was a lot (laughs) yeah it's tough and it's so tough to know I mean like I like to think that the shelter they they knew me and they knew my family and they knew my family's dog and like I like to think that they saw the potential you know that's the like the version that makes my ego feel good Um, but also there's a reality that you know when we have dogs in shelters we want to find the perfect fit and and sometimes that perfect unicorn fit doesn't quite exist but we can still create a situation that is a lot lot better than the alternatives and so sometimes embracing that idea of good enough you know not in a way that causes harm to any party like to be very very clear about what I'm what I'm saying I do not think that shelters should be willy-nilly adopting dogs out but I do think that you know, you can have a, a shy dog or a soft dog in an environment that isn't 100% aligned and perfect and still be really, really successful as long as enough of the other variables are, you know, kind of on board in the right way. So yeah, su- super nuanced topic there, but it, I'm so happy that I did end up with her. I mean, I wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. change the thing in hindsight. <laughs> no, definitely. Let's maybe talk about that transition and maybe also how your account Pause and Reflect got started. Being content creators in general, I like to always usually say that most people on this podcast are inspired by their rescue dogs. I assume the same would be (laughs) with your account since most of it features Scout. Did your time with Scout, especially, you know, in this time when you were starting to think about starting the account, um, how did those kind of like cross over into each other? I actually first discovered the dog Instagram space. Like it was the first time in my life that I realized, oh, there's a collection of people who have social media accounts dedicated to their dogs. Like that wasn't a thing I was really aware of, but but I first found it with my family's Husky. And that was when I started to spend some time in the community. 
And then when I adopted Scout, I knew that I was really excited to share about our training. Like I was super gung-ho from the beginning. But I also knew that, you know, my coworkers and my high school friends on Facebook probably didn't want to see like 20 videos a day of me training my dog. Um, So it was a very natural flow to just have Scout's account that was focused on her. So like the first post I made was the first day I brought her home. Um, Like these two things kind of started right at once. And it's evolved a lot over time. Like initially it was very much a journal and also... I don't, I don't quite know how to say it. It was, I don't want to say more positive because I'm actually really proud that I think that I create a positive space, but I think that maybe, maybe it was a little bit more sugar coated for a while or like just less nuanced, like not in some intentional, like I never sat down and said, okay, like this is how I'm writing and this is how I'm going to write in the future. It was just a natural flow as I did more with Scout and I learned more about dogs in general. And I discovered how nuanced life with dogs is. I think that that just sort of flows. So like once in a while, I'll look back on a really old post and I'll be like, huh, like, like I don't hate it. Like I remember who I was when I wrote it and I understand, but I write it so differently today because there are 20 million caveats and like all of these other things that have happened so it's been fun to have it the whole time and like get to look back on all of these photos of her years ago and then like where my head was and where our training was and kind of have it all documented to revisit like I'm really really happy I started it when I did and that I have that journal just for myself it's really cool sometimes when I'm you know if it's like a rainy day and I'm a little bit nostalgic I'll just like go back in my archive and like look at Scout three days after I adopted her and just have my mind blown I've done that too I think also I don't know maybe if it's the time for you but I think dog Instagram's changed a lot in itself too you know Mm -hmm. it was a lot more positive how a lot of Instagram is like kind of like sugar-coated I think a lot of people sometimes feel overwhelmed by everything on there still I think it makes sense for you to want to be part of that and want to share all the amazing progress and then eventually you're like okay but there's like hard parts to this journey we're on together I know for us with my first rescue boss, like, yeah, it was really challenging to integrate him into our home to like figure out how to like for us at least like own a dog for the first time and deal with like issues that he came with. Yeah, the sharing is so, so incredible. Like I I talked about Scott's fury activity from from the first time that I started seeing it, which was, you know, like two weeks after I adopted her is when she got attacked. The way I've come to think about it and talk about it and engage in the space is very different now rooted in a lot of the same you know values and same desires but it's been it's been fun to look back on that transition I guess and in terms of the growth of the account or what you've seen is that something that happened organically is that something you wanted to happen like tell me more about just like how your accounts like changed and your relationship to sharing your content with Scout has changed definitely both so like I never set out in the beginning to like make this a full-time thing or grow this a ton I mean I think every one of us if we have an account that's public the idea 
idea of people looking at it feels nice. Like I would push back gently on anyone who says that that was never something that crossed their mind. And I'm I'm sure there are people out there who like truly do not care at all. But for me in the beginning, it was like, oh, like that would be cool, but it was not a goal. It wasn't something I actively worked towards. It was primarily a journal and a way to connect with a small handful of other owners and talk about training because I didn't necessarily have that in my in-person connections. And then over time, it started to grow a little bit. And I started to think about that growth a little bit more. And then within the last few months, I've been the most intentional about it. I actually left my full-time job in December and pursued writing about dogs full-time. So on our own blog and growing the subscribers on there, and then also doing freelance work for dog brands specifically, which has been just wonderful. Like I'm so happy that I made that transition and I'm really happy with how it's been going. And so that's when I think it became, you know, like probably last summer, Sean and I started having some conversations about, okay, I love doing this. I love connecting with these other owners. This feels really fulfilling. How might we make this into something that I can do, you know, more of outside of my traditional nine to five job? How do I do that? without feeling like I am losing myself or or selling out. I worked at a marketing agency and I I love my job, but I also think that I, you know, I saw pretty firsthand just a lot of things that exist in the social media and marketing sphere. And that authenticity is really important to me. So Sean and I had a lot of conversations about like, what does this look like? And and what do I want to do with it? So definitely the last few months, I've been thinking a little bit more critically about what topics Am I passionate about that also people are interested in reading and like, how can I marry these things together in a way that feels really good and feels really right, but does encourage that subscription part of our blog and like does maybe support us a little bit in an income sense. It's, that's been a process. So if we could, we could no do a whole podcast just on that. I will, I will stop rambling there. But yeah, definitely transitions just in like how I think about the account and caring for my mental health, you know, maintaining that authenticity, like my goal always been that someone could meet me and Sean and Scout in person after following us and not be surprised at all. Like, like that's my goal. Like I want to do a good enough job being, being real while still respecting our privacy. And like, you know, sometimes I don't want to be sharing every second of every day and, and that's healthy for me to remember, but making sure that everything is real and comprehensive enough that like there aren't surprises. That's the biggest compliment when I, when I've met people in real life who I, you know, originally connected with just on Instagram, the biggest compliment they can give me is be like, you're exactly like, you know, like I thought you would be. And that just feels so good. I can definitely understand that and that balance. Congratulations on your transition. I mean, it doesn't come to many in this sphere compared to others. Definitely big accomplishment. Thank you. It's it's been really, really exciting. And I love the client work and that's what I did at my old job, but to get to do it, you know, to get to do it for brands that I am very specifically selecting and that are in the dog space like it it was just combining these passions I always loved to write and I've always loved dogs and like now I get to write about dogs like as a job like are are we kidding is that how I'm supporting myself like it it still kind of doesn't feel real that's pretty amazing definitely we all know when you're passionate about dogs and you're given a chance to write about it you can go on forever so that's amazing (laughs) character limits and time limits are are hard (laughs) oh yes I imagine let's maybe chat a bit more about the content that you've been exploring over this time training training is a big pillar of what you've 
talked about, obviously in your journey with Scout, I would love to just maybe get started and just hear about what was it about training Scout that like drew you to Instagram as a platform and what were like how you started to talk about training and has that changed in this transition? Super, super great question. Made the Instagram account, you know, right when I brought her home and just knew that that, frankly, I liked that the platform allowed me to share videos and photos and like organize them all in a grid. It seemed less overwhelming than like doing it straight through Facebook or some of the other platforms. Um, I, I liked that it was, you know, kind of like all housed in one place. Oh goodness, what a what a training journey we have had. <laughs> I started out like I hand fed her every single meal, like the, the first meal that she ate in her house, I hand fed her. Um, and we muzzle trained before she was even attacked and started showing outward reactivity. She she'd been afraid of dogs the whole time, like at the shelter, she didn't want to interact with them. She had one of the test interactions at the shelter was like a not good interaction. And they told me she would be more confidence around other dogs. I was kind of naive and didn't fully understand like the foundation that had been laid for pretty intense fear reactivity. Pretty quickly, once she was attacked by a dog on one of our walks and started showing the outward reactivity, pretty quickly our account became largely focused on that. And in some ways, that was such a good thing for me. Like I was able to find a community of other people whose dogs were reactive, whether out of excitement or fear to a variety of stimuli. And I was able to not feel alone. And like, like in so many ways, that community was amazing. In some others, it wasn't very healthy for me because it was really easy to fixate on that label and fixate on that part of Scout. And like, of course, this was something that we needed to address. I care a lot about being publicly responsible and respectful. I love a lot of people who are actually not comfortable with dogs. I'm not the dog person who's like, oh, you have to like dogs. Like some of my very close family and friends are, they don't feel safe around the average dog. And it's really important to me to be aware of that. So like, you know, of course we needed to work on like scout. You can't be yelling at dogs a block and a half away. You can't be freaking out in our apartment hallway. Like we have to work through this. And so it, it was good to focus on it, but I definitely got pretty, pretty caught up in it. I think that the biggest ways that the way I think and talk about training now are different than how I did that in the past is I've come full circle on so many topics or like sort of started on one end and then like actually swung not totally to the opposite extreme. Like I don't think I've ever been really extreme in views, but like I've definitely, you know, started on one side, swung past the midpoint towards the other side and then settled back. Yeah, somewhere in the middle ground. And there are certain things that I still lean on. Like I'm not smack dab in the middle on everything, but pretty much everything that I think or talk to people about now, I find myself seeing multiple sides and, and understanding and existing more in that middle ground than in the beginning. Like the hand feeding one is a great example. For a while, I was like, all dogs should be hand fed. Like this is the way. And like, if I were to adopt Scout all over again tomorrow, I would not start hand feeding her every meal from the beginning. Like that is not a choice that I would do over again. I, there are some things I would do differently, but like at the same time, I'm not at the extreme end where I'm like, no dog should be hand fed. Like I know lots of great people who that, you know, elements of that are working really well for them. So yeah, just like, I feel like it's just been a product of learning more and being exposed to more and having more conversations. Like it's impossible to stay in my little 
bubble of like, this is right. And that other thing is wrong because once you see it from, you know, 20 different varying perspectives and you're trying to put the pieces together, it's just all so complex. A hundred percent. And I think unfortunately, when it comes to the topic of training, it's hard because there are a lot of extreme perspectives on both sides. It's hard to talk about without using the buzzwords that everyone likes to use. I guess since you're from a marketing perspective and so am I, I like totally understand why all that terminology exists and why it's helpful to get average folks who are trying to do it themselves or trying to pick a trainer or trying to navigate reactivity or resource guarding or any of those big issues, it's definitely easier to gravitate towards things. But I feel the same way that I think, you know, if you embrace nuance in your life, it just makes things a lot more complicated. (laughs) So you just gotta like try different things and see what works for you and your value set long term. Oh yeah. Yeah. More complicated for sure, but also just, it's also just so much better. I'm so much happier and more confident, you know, feeling like I've been able to think things through and that I've changed my mind on enough things now that like changing my mind no longer feels super scary. Like, you know, for a while it was really scary to be like, oh my gosh, like this thing that I was doing maybe wasn't great for our situation, but I'm terrified to mention that because is someone going to come for me? And like, is that going to insult someone? And how do I tiptoe around all of these things? I feel like I've navigated that in in different forms enough times now that like it no longer paralyzes me and and frankly that's made scouts life a ton better like the fact that I'm a bit more willing now to be like okay like let's reevaluate this thing and it doesn't mean that past me was awful and it doesn't mean people who do x y or z are awful like I'm just gonna think it through a little bit more and and take the pressure off the training like nuance like finding balance in that space conversation is one that I will literally never shut up about. So I'm going to cut myself off here and hand it back to you. I mean, I think we're going to talk about it a little bit more as we get into these other topics. So (laughs) I totally understand. It's a big part of the space. I have been hesitant to talk about training on this podcast for a long time because of it. So I totally feel you. I was like, I'm just going to avoid the topic (laughs) and just be chill about it. And now recently I'm like, well, I need to talk about this content because it's important to people. Well, that's so hard. Maybe an update on Scout. Like, how has he been doing with issues he had when you adopted him? Like, sorry, adopted her three years ago. How is she progressing in that sense, especially now that you're in a new environment? I I couldn't be happier with her right now. Like to sum it up, she still does not want dogs right in her face. I fully respect that. I routinely do not want people in my space when I'm out in public. Like Sean and I really enjoy going to public places, but like being together and like coexisting with the space. And so I really empathize with that. My, My whole family, we're all introverts. That's part of the reason that I think our household functions as well as it does. But she no longer yells at dogs minding their own business from really far distances. And she can go to restaurant patios with us and she can hike on pretty narrow trails and have fun at the dog friendly section of the beach. And like all of these things that really enrich our life and and make our world bigger, we can tackle together. And the majority of the time tackling them together is actually pretty easy nowadays, which is all I could ask 
ask for. You know, she'll still have a, a tough time if we're in really close quarters and another dog is putting a ton of pressure on her. Yeah. And, or if I don't advocate for her space, I, you know, I can throw her off in that way. Like I would never walk around and say that now she's super social and like super composed and confident because she's not like, she's still a, a pretty baseline fearful dog, but our world is huge and she gets to do all of these things with us. And I don't feel the level of stress that I used to feel. So like one of the things that I keep reminding myself of is the very first time that Scout ever came to a sit down restaurant patio with me and my partner was two years ago on my birthday. It was July of 2020 and I was just ecstatic. It felt like the hugest accomplishment. We had been practicing settling and hanging out in public for, I don't even know how many mornings, like, like weeks and weeks of multiple days each week, sitting outside in these environments and trying to build her confidence and her comfort. And I was so thrilled that she could come with us. And the entire time that we were there with her, I was laser focused on her. I was like, you know, sitting in my chair, swiveling around, looking at the environment. And I was feeling super nervous and unsettled. And I enjoyed the food because it was good food. But like the experience was totally an I'm training scout thing. And like we did it, but it was really hard. Compared to today, she comes to public outdoor workout classes with me and, you know, like sleeps while I do yoga with a group of people and all of these things. Or we just decide on a whim, like, okay, we're going to take you to a patio now and it just feels easier. So like we do a lot of the same things that we've been able to do for, you know, like a year and a half or so now, but the ease with which we do them today is what makes me feel most successful, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that ties in well to kind of like what your training philosophy is on the site. I think like, you know, kind of like you were saying about that transition, when you first have a dog with reactivity, you are a little bit obsessive about their behavior. And you're like, you're so focused on how other people view you and like that embarrassment and shame cycle that you go through. And at the end of the day, you know, your own stress like becomes part of that experience in a really bad way. So I love that you said, you know, kind of like your journey is like to live well together, to coexist and to have your life suit your dogs and your dog's life suit yours. So when it comes to that, what is something you can maybe share that like the average dog owner can take with them? Maybe apply it to any of like these kind of issues that we all go through. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. All right. This is a a fantastic question and and a really big one. At the risk of going too broad, I actually think one of the most impactful things for me has been focusing on finding things that both my dog and I love and maximizing the time that we spend together doing things that are genuinely bringing both of us joy. And I think that depending on your environment and your preferred ideal lifestyle and, and who your dog is, there are so many variables at play here and this might look really different, but I'm, I'm a little ashamed is the wrong word because I understand who past me was and what she was doing. And I not shame, but I would do some things differently in my first years with Scout. I became pretty preoccupied with like this, this idea of what I wanted to do with her. And I never totally lost sight of like wanting her to be comfortable. That was always a huge value of mine, but I think I still set out to do things like, like I kind of got lucky that she's a dog who genuinely can 
can enjoy sitting at a patio. While I firmly believe that the majority of dogs can be taught to handle that and can do it in different situations when they need to, I don't necessarily think that every dog thrives in that environment or really, really enjoys it. And as time has gone on, I've gotten a lot better about accepting there are a handful of things that I would love to do with Scout that like Scout just quite simply wouldn't love to do with me and I could get her to do them like the majority of them that I'm thinking of right now like she could do but it's the difference between handling it and enjoying it and when I kind of flipped my perspective to just simply try to maximize like what things do we both love and like of course we're going to compromise a little like on either end but can we spend the bulk of our time doing activities in environments that we both get a lot out of and, and we're just so much happier now like I realize that sounds like such basic advice like do things with your dog that you both enjoy and you know if you're dealing with a really severe behavioral problem it might feel like there aren't many of those things that you can do yet and like this is all intertwined with the training but that perspective shift was really huge for me like really really critically asking am I taking Scout into X, Y, or Z situation because I think that she will enjoy it with me or like am I doing it to prove a point or am I doing it sort of selfish way or just in general like been you know a long few years with COVID we're used to spending a lot of times with our dogs it's hard to do things without them I find sometimes too I'm like one of my dogs she's you know she's a big homebody she just wants to sleep she loves going on walks now that it's warm but I wouldn't say they're her favorite thing and you know sometimes I am like oh she's so sad when I leave I should take her to my nail appointment I should take her to this just because she's allowed to and that I'm just like on the bus with her and I'm like wow she is so miserable <laughs> like <laughs> this was for me this wasn't for her she's not enjoying her little adventure to the nail salon to just <laughs> sit somewhere new that's not her comfortable home so why am I doing it you know I think sometimes you just do it because you want your dog's company when you're doing things but not necessarily what's right for them especially too even for people who have dogs who maybe are a bit more flexible Like I think too, because I had boss first, he was not the type of dog I could take around in public with me. And uh, that I worked up a lot to that. Then my second dog is so chill that I was like, oh, now I have this like purse dog. And it's like, no. Oh gosh, I totally, totally, totally relate. And like, you know, like everything, it's a balance. Like I absolutely sometimes ask Scout to do things with me for me. And I'm aware of the fact that she's not getting as much out of it as I am. And I just try to be conscious that like, that's not all the time. And vice versa, like I do things for her that she really, really loves. And I'm like, why are we doing like, this is not my favorite thing right now. Like, why are we rolling in the underbrush? And I'm going to have to clean these burrs off of you later. But, but it balances out. And most of the time we really enjoy each other. And like, I don't think either one of us feels constrained or, you know, like resentful. And I think that finding that balance has just been really huge. Let's chat a bit about fostering. I love that you foster, by the way. I think it is definitely hard to have a perspective out there of like, you know, a non, not a non-social, but like a low social dog who doesn't, you know, want to play, want to cuddle, all those things that we kind of label as like dog social still help our shelters, help our rescues by just bringing one dog out of that situation until they find their forever home. But I'm sure it wasn't easy. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I'd love to talk about when, when did you decide to start fostering with the scout? I think we first started talking about it, like maybe a half year or so after moving to Florida, we moved in 2020. And like, I knew it was something that I really wanted to do. Like I, I love the rescue community. I consider myself a rescue advocate at, you know, like as much as I support ethical breeders, I, I also really enjoy spending time in our shelters. And like, I just, I love the balance and I kind of wanted, I, I really wanted to be part of that. Um, and I also hoped that I would be good at fostering. Like I really enjoy the training and I really enjoy getting to know dogs. And, and I, I felt like maybe we had value that we could provide and that it would be this great thing all around. And so we talked about it and like Scout's been able to exist in the same home as other dogs for a while. It just requires different levels of management, depending on the exact specifics of the situation. Um, I'm happy we didn't do it when we were in our apartment. We, we couldn't actually, I had, I had applied um, to a couple of places and they wouldn't let me foster when I lived in an apartment, which is a, a rule that I have mixed feelings about because I firmly believe that owners can be really invested and fulfill their dogs well in an, in an apartment. I also, yeah where rescues are coming from I get that it's a complicated yeah thing. it depends I mean I will say here in Toronto I think every rescue is very happy to take condo or apartment dogs but it depends on the dog too like we know that there there are many times when we place a dog in a condo in an apartment and we have to move them and that is a risk yeah. we have to take when we accept that situation yeah. in there because obviously many more dogs are going to thrive in a beautiful, quiet home with a yard. But if we only picked those people, we wouldn't be able to save as many dogs as we do. So exactly. Yeah. It's, it's such a nuanced thing. I, I see it from both sides. I generally, you know, I generally wish that shelters and rescues were maybe a little bit more open to that in some of the circles that I've been a part of. But personally, like it worked out well for us. I don't think that fostering would have been as successful in our apartment. We could have done it. I wouldn't have applied if I didn't think that we could have done it. Sean is fantastic. He's like the most logical person I've ever met. So any decision that I make with him, I always feel like, like really good that, you know, okay, we can do this. Um, but it worked out well that we didn't foster until we got into our house. And so then we started talking about it more and more. And I started volunteering at one of our local shelters and reaching out to more local rescues, you know, now that we were in the house. And initially we moved and we were still doing quite a bit of work on the house. So didn't end up doing anything there. We got approved to foster in October. And then actually the organizations that we were approved with kept finding fosters really quickly, which is fantastic. Like that's usually the opposite problem that fosters have is, you know, like there wasn't a dog in desperate need of us, which again was great. Like much would prefer that than having five dogs who desperately need a home and you can only offer them one or offer space for one of them. But, you know, then there we were getting married and we had travel and there were all of these things. And so finally, finally, we not only were approved there was a dog who needed us and I was so 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 excited it was a I mean it was a process it it was very good I was a little bit taken aback by the sheer volume of messages and comments I got asking like when are you going to let Scout and Val play together right. and I was like, okay like 
it would feel like letting for Val, like Val would have loved to play with Scout. Like she was super exuberant. And the first few times we walked them together, she was like full on play bowing and whining and like, you know, some of the, the excitement reactivity things. Um, yeah. But it would not feel like letting for Scout. It would feel like forcing. And I am not in the business of forcing her to do things that she does not enjoy doing unless they are directly necessary. Like she does not like getting her blood drawn, but she needs to have blood drawn on occasion. Or if there are things that are going to really, really directly improve our life in the long run. And like the fact of it is right now, we've come so far and I'm so happy with her. I'm not going to force her to interact with a dog, let alone one who was not directly tested with other dogs at the shelter because she was injured. I feel reasonably confident that Val would have been social, but like we did not have strong evidence of that. So of course I'm going to be risk averse. I want all creatures who I'm responsible for in my home to be safe, like first and foremost. And second, like forcing that interaction was not going to drastically change our fostering process or improve our life in a super dramatic way. That was an interesting thing to process. Like, I think to be clear, the vast majority of people were super supportive and it was really wonderful. There were a good handful though, who were like, why are you fostering a dog? Like if Scout isn't playing with the dog, like why, why isn't this interaction happening? I was really happy and honestly, really thankful to be able to share that process and share that. Like, of course, in a perfect world, like all four of us would have piled on the couch and snuggled. Like that's the dream, right? But that's not the reality. I would say it's not uncommon for a dog to not love a strange dog coming into their home. Like even if Scout was a social dog, like even if she had enjoyed just about every dog she'd ever met, I still would have had a gradual, easy introduction process to try to alleviate stress on everyone. And so then we just kind of kept up that intro process. The other thing that threw a wrench into all of this is that Val, our foster, was a medical foster and she was recovering from a broken leg and she was also heartworm positive. And so some of the things that I would have done right away to help them get integrated, like parallel walks, we could not start until we had Val for what I think it was like four weeks, like almost a full month. So that added a challenge because, you know, not only is there this unknown dog in Scout's home, like on Scout's property, like in the space that is hers, she cannot, can't interact with this dog. Like this dog is unmedically mandated crate rest was a blessing in some ways. Like I didn't feel as guilty about the time that they spent crated and separated because Val had to do that anyway. But in other ways, it made it a lot harder. Like I think that they would have achieved a greater level of comfort with each other even faster if we had been able to do some of those things from the get-go or if we'd frankly been able to fulfill Val, like the first few walks we took together. The poor girl was just like on her hind leg, freaking out. Like she wanted nothing more than to get to Scout and she had all of this pent-up energy. And like, obviously that's a lot for Scout to handle, but it's not Val's fault that she couldn't do the physical activities that she wanted to do. Yeah, like there were all of these very at play um but I couldn't be happier with how it went like fundamentally everyone was safe everyone was as fulfilled as they could be I mean I will be the first to say that Val in a perfect world would have had more fulfillment but we were dealing with medical restrictions like there was no way around that and everyone was was happy like I mean it wasn't some rosy oh look at the dogs playing in the backyard but it it worked probably better than 
I thought it would like by the time that we said goodbye to Val, we had a really easy status quo sort of routine going and I'm excited to do it again. <laughs> That's so funny because I feel like a lot of what you said are things that happen in fostering so much. First of all, introductions. Like I know so many fosters who just have gung ho, happy, friendly dogs, and they just let it all happen. And it goes disastrously so you know you can have two happy dogs who really want to meet each other and it can still go disastrously so there's no correlation there and in general like that neutrality is usually what we all try and strive for add a medical case in there and you literally have to just like keep them from what they want you're like you want to run like a crazy girl and you can't yeah you got to do this instead um and I've had um I've had people in the rescue like have bonded fosters one had an injury one is crazy so I think scout being like whatever probably helped (laughs) at least you didn't have the energy back of like no 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 let's play yeah yeah it was like I said it's in some ways having a medical foster sort of made it easier because it was kind of a given then like like they told us you know no interaction right away she has to be calm and all of this in other ways again like kind of made it harder because we couldn't do some of those things to ease the transition um but you know like by the end when we could walk them together I was just giving scout freedom on a loose leash sometimes I had her on her harness which she's allowed to pull into that's how we taught leash manners like harness you can pull collar you can't have Mm. tension really just letting her like set the distance and show what she was comfortable with and she showed me multiple times that she could handle Val and she was neutral to Val and like Val played out pretty close to her face once and she like held herself together but she also showed me that she didn't want to interact like Val would be pulling towards her on one side of the street and Scout is on the other just like gung-ho I'm going home ignoring her and so yeah I wasn't about to put any pressure on that when it was going really really well we did not fully know what Val was like with other dogs and she had all of this pent-up energy and I I think to myself you can never know unless you're in the situation and there are so many confounding variables but even if Scout had been super, super social, I doubt that those two would have had a lot of direct, intense interaction just Mm -hmm. due to the situation. Um, But like the point that was most important to me is that we could do it. Like to be a foster and, and to help this dog and help the shelter, we didn't have to have the super perfect rainbow and butterflies setup. Like like it's true that Scout is not the ideal foster sibling. I won't, I won't sugarcoat that. Like she is not a fan of other dogs. She does not want them in her space, but that didn't mean that we couldn't make it work and still ultimately have a really positive impact. And and I I just feel like that was what was most exciting for me. Like, I think we did it in a way that was fair to everybody involved, including ourselves as the humans. Yeah, like I'm I'm honestly really proud of how the whole thing went. Like, I, I think we did a good job and that everyone handled it well and that feels really good. That's amazing. And yeah, I think it's just about, like you said, trying to make it the best situation for everyone. You know, when people are messaging like, oh, why aren't you letting them play or whatever? I think a lot of fosters feel that guilt when it comes to like handling hard situations or crate training, even like something that, you know, some of us who are in the dog world take for granted and think is like, whatever. Some fosters are brand new and they're just like, I feel bad having my dog in this crate for like hours when I'm in the room. And it's like, no, that's okay. (laughs) You don't have to feel guilty. (laughs) 
there were a few times I had to remind myself that, you know, again, like situations can be extreme on either end, but for the most part, being in just about any home with an owner who cares is a better environment than being in the shelter. Like we directly took Val out of the shelter so she didn't have to heal in a loud kennel environment and brought her into our home. And so even if she had to be crated for multiple hours because she couldn't run around a bunch or I was working or we had to divide time with both dogs, like fundamentally she was still in a more comfortable environment than, than there. Um, I, I always try to take this line of thought, like not too far because just because thing A is better than thing B does not mean it's okay for thing A to be bad. Like I think that at its worst, this concept can be used to justify some things that we should not justify. And I want to be cautious of that. But at the same time, if you're feeling a little bit guilty or you really, really, really care and you're getting down on yourself, I think a healthy level of comparison can remind you like, oh yeah, okay, we're doing fine. Like no one is, no one is actually hurt. This is so, so, so much better than the other alternative. Like pat yourself on the back and take a deep breath and stop feeling bad kind of thing. Yeah. And you're doing a good thing. You're helping. You always say like fostering doesn't just help the dog that you are fostering, but helps another dog take their place. So it's all like amazing and anything you can contribute is usually really good. Medical cases need places to rest. And as much as it's hard in a lot of ways, it's definitely needed and can be really rewarding and helps the dog hopefully be able to run around and be crazy for the rest of their lives. Exactly. (laughs) One moment, right? It's just a few weeks or a month or whatever, (laughs) however long that is. And then, you know, eventually you see videos. I don't know if Fal got adopted because she's all healed up, but maybe you'll be getting some crazy running around videos soon. I really, really hope that that they stay in touch. I would love nothing more than to officially see her in her new home. She was so fun. Like, oh goodness. She like selfishly, she just brought me so much joy. She was so different from Scout and that was so good for all of us. And like, she was just a blast to be around and like just such a good, solid dog. And yeah, I'm so excited for, for her. I really hope that we, I don't need like, Christmas cards from her new family. But if yeah. I could just see like one or two pictures, it would just make my my whole life. <laughs> I understand. Most of my foster families are not on Instagram. They're like a little older. So whenever I get an email pop up with like yeah. some grainy pictures of them on the couch, I'm like, yes, this is the yeah. best thing. <laughs> yeah, like, look at you living that life. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so Val was, uh, was she, okay. She looked super friendly. Did she love you guys? Was she like a cuddler? Oh yeah. She, Sean called her a closet cuddler. It had to be the right time of day and it had to be the right energy level. Um, she was not great at settling, which I think again was partially because of the, the inherent lack of fulfillment with being on those exercise restrictions. Um, and then being in a new place, but she was a total sweetheart. She either wanted to lick your face and like, that's not a strong enough term. Consume your face or just be like lying on top of you. And it was, 
absolutely delightful. She had her quirks and, you know, we started to learn different things about her. She didn't love, like, if someone first came in, like, seemed a little territorial. Some of those things that are, are frankly, pretty natural for a dog that sometimes I think we, we forget can be natural. Um, but, like, every person that she met, like, properly, she just totally warmed up to and smothered them and was super bold, like, a little bit timid at first with new things, but such a contrast to Scout. Like, if yeah. Scout is timid of something... It's a whole process to work through that and like a very careful process. Like if she's a little wary of an object, God forbid the object falls over or anything like that. Yeah. Or the game is off. Whereas Val was like a little bit uncertain of certain things, but all she needed was time. Like I didn't have to do anything intentionally to get her used to like, like the garbage can. Like, I don't know, maybe she had never seen a garbage can, like probably just lack of exposure and she didn't like it. But like, I, I never had to do anything specific to get her to like it. It just took like a day. And then she was, oh, that thing's harmless. I'm fine. So yeah, she was just like bubbly and bold and exuberant, just full of all of this zest for life. It was really contagious like you'd let her out of a crate and she would just howl and prance around and be so happy to be doing something with you and like you, you couldn't not smile when she did that she she was she was so fun like I said selfishly like I just loved having her around and and we talked a little bit earlier about reactive dogs and how sometimes we can obsess over them and I've made a lot of progress in that regard but I'll be the first to admit that I still overthink about Scout um, and I don't think that's ever going to go away and it doesn't need to go away completely but having a second dog around really helped me broaden my perspective a bit and kind of remind myself like just how tough Scout is like I had another creature to divvy my focus up with. And so yeah. that was that, like, honestly, just really healthy for everyone. Totally. And you saw Scout be adaptable to this like new situation and be fine. Like you said, she asserted her boundaries. She coexisted. She did yeah. great. And that's like sometimes enough. I know for, yeah, bosses, he used to be a better foster sibling I think now he's like stop it out of here. <laughs> but he warms up I guess like within like if they stay like a month or more want to play with them or whatever um but it's definitely sometimes I have to wait to get to that side and I'm like oh what did I do boss is in a bad mood he's attacking the foster <laughs> he's little so it's always like just about monitoring and making sure they're communicating with each other. It's always nice when you get to the other side and you're like, okay, my dog is not as sensitive and as you like need to make it when you see a foster who's like brand new. Yeah. Like going through so many changes and doing okay. Exactly. And like I, uh, Scout's seizures have gotten worse recently and it's been a big topic of of thought for me and Sean. And, And she had a seizure while we had Val. It was honestly really good for me to have Val around. Like one of the reasons I was nervous about fostering was will this add stress? And like, does the stress trigger seizures? Like we don't have any direct evidence, but you know, now I keep thinking that my dog is medically fragile. And like, of course I want to mitigate anything that's contributing to that, blah, blah, blah. Um, But it was really good for me to have both dogs whilst when, you know, when Scout had that seizure and we put her on her meds and 
to be able to remind myself that we as a family are tough enough to handle those things, even if we have other things going on. I, I really needed that, like just to remind myself that we are resilient and we are tough. And I'm, I'm always going to be conscious of what I ask Scout to handle because she is not the world's most happy-go-lucky solid dog, but she's, you know, she's not as fragile as the the worst case scenario parts of my brain try to tell me sometimes. <laughs> oh my God, that is so relatable because you do just hyperbolize even just something like reactivity, like remembering how I was dealing with him reacting and like just now that pretty much every foster I get starts off pretty reactive and it's like, you know, you're just going to go through the motions and do this. (laughs) And it just, it just becomes so normalized when you experience it through other dogs too, where you're just like being a dog living in this chaotic world we bring them into. Oh gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I did want to, if you're comfortable, talk a little bit about Scout since it has been a topic on your Instagram as of late, just in general, your experiences of these like medical changes, maybe we can just start with what's been going on health-wise with Scout and how this transition has been like part of your experience as a dog owner. Scout had her first seizure when I had her for almost two years. Um, It was at the end of 2020 and it was super terrifying. I had no idea what was going on. I really knew nothing about dog seizures. Like I had never been exposed to that. And I, like, I knew in the back of my brain that that could be a a result of certain types of like poisoning or things like this, but I had just never been directly exposed and never thought it would be something that we would have to deal with. So that happened when I was home alone with her and we took her into the bed and, you know, it's not uncommon for a dog to have a one-off seizure like that actually is a thing that happens with some regularity like maybe there wasn't a fluke in the environment or just something weird and so the general consensus is that like if your dog has one seizure you really don't need to worry like of course your vet should be running tests and we ran a bunch of tests on scout everything came back total clear and so we just went on our way thinking you know all right like hopefully it was just a fluke whatever 11 months later, she had her second one. So we made it almost a year, which is really, really, really great. And, you know, we got in touch with the vet again. We ran more tests. At this point, we took her off of her oral flea and tick preventative. I want to be really clear that our vet did not think that that was a direct cause. I am not anti-flea and tick preventative. Scout was on this, the same one in the same dose for a really, really long time. And she's continued to have seizures since. Um, but there is enough evidence that they can exacerbate these issues in dogs who are prone to them. So we wanted to play it as safe as we can. Three months after that, she had her third. Two months after that, she had her fourth. And then it was just over one month after that, that she had her fifth. And so basically the pattern that we were seeing um, was was really concerning. The general consensus is that seizures only get worse. We had seen them getting, you know, significantly closer together. When you think about that 11 month gap between the first two and we were ecstatic, that seemed like a really good amount of time compared to the one month gap between her fourth and her fifth. Like every single one was getting closer than the previous had been. Um, and, and her fifth one was, it was pretty bad. It's been like two weeks now. And so I can, I can talk about it a little bit better, but it, it was really scary. I was home alone and it was the first time that she had the aura beforehand and it took her longer to recover. And it was just really, really difficult. Um, 
compared to some of the earlier ones. And so we talked with our vet a bunch, you know, again, you, you run the tests to see if you've missed something. We connected with a neurologist and kind of reached the point of, okay, you know, idiopathic epilepsy is a diagnosis of exclusion. They had loosely diagnosed her with that after her second seizure. But the understanding is that because it's a diagnosis of exclusion, you can't be sure there, there could always be something that you're missing. And so that's kind of the catch all label for tests are clear and dog is otherwise healthy, but this is happening. It basically Um, just means that they like, there is no identifiable cause. Exactly. Yeah, like idiopathic is, you know, literally the definition is for unknown reason. Um, So we reached a point where we could have decided to do a bunch more tests that are really, really invasive or to go ahead and put her on the anticonvulsant. And the reality was that she'd probably end up on an anticonvulsant regardless because even if the tests found thing, yeah, we, it, it was a whole process, bunch of conversations with our vet and this neurologist and getting everything in order to make the best decision that we felt like we could. Um, so we decided not to run any more tests because the odds of us finding something that would drastically change our treatment plan or, you know, her life were, were small. The cost benefit analysis didn't seem worth it. But we did start her on a twice daily anticonvulsant and we, it's not quite two weeks now that she's been on it. So we're in the thick of side effect land, which has been a difficult, but all in all, like she still seems happy. She's, you know, she's different. Like the, the side effects have been a little bit of a challenge. I'm very connected to her and sensitive to her. And so I notice (laughs) these things really easily. Like that was something that our vet and I talked about is that some of the side effects might be on the subtle end, but because I spend so much time with her and have this relationship with her, there's nothing that I won't notice. Like I'll notice the slightest change. And so, you know, on the one hand, she hasn't experienced anything so drastic that life sucks or anything like that. We're so, so, so fortunate. Um, But on the other hand, like every little way that she's different now, I've noticed, and we're, we're just kind of navigating that. There's a good chance that some of those will get better. It's just not a guarantee. So we're kind of in like the, the cautiously optimistic land where I'm hoping that we see improvement with those side effects, but I'm not counting on it because I don't want to build it up and then yeah. be really, really disappointed and devastated. But And what but kind of side effects are you seeing? She's clumsier. So mm-hmm. anticonvulsants work by suppressing neural activity. So anyone that you're on, you're going to see, you know, your dog is going to slow down a little bit, be more tired, lethargic, maybe some lack of coordination, like clumsiness with muscle movements. Hopefully that one gets better. That's a common one that does improve as she figures out how to reconcile the new ways that her body and brain are interacting. But yeah, that's been big. Like she's being really, really clumsy right now. And we love to play and do all of these things. And so like, I notice it most when we're playing tug, she's thankfully still playful, but when she wins the toy and like the momentum, mm-hmm. you know, get, gets her, she keeps falling on her face and like all of these things. And, and she's still happy to play like she doesn't notice it or she's not like particularly upset that it happened but obviously as an owner it's really hard to yeah not have that reaction yeah earn and exactly. like oh my gosh this is how you play now 
Exactly. And like, she's sensitive to feeling weird. So like, she's still by and large playful, but like, is not initiating play as much as she used to. And, and play is a huge foundation of our training and our relationship. So navigating that, navigating her being a little bit like less attentive and less focused. And then a huge one is increased hunger. We've been dealing with this mm. full force. She is so hungry. I feel really bad because, um, I can't ask her how she feels. There's a chance that it's just like a, a desire to eat more, like more of a subtle urge to eat. But it seems like she's really feeling uncomfortably hungry. Right. It's hard um, to tell if it's like you're satisfied, you're just like maybe craving something and you're exactly. like, have a lot of food desire that like starts before they're even hunger cues kick in. Hard yeah. to tell. And yeah, I would be such a sucker for that. It is really hard. hard. Oh my gosh, it's hard. Um, we found some ways to navigate it that I like to think are helping. Like she's getting more veggies because they're low calories. She feels like she's eating something, but we don't have to worry as much about the weight gain, trying to break her meals up. It's just hard because like I really pride myself on on our training and communication and how easy it is to live with her. And like for the first time, like she's grabbing food from my hands and like getting into food, like that's never been an issue. And I just had to remind myself that like, she felt weird. Like she wasn't trying to break rules on purpose. She just felt really uncomfortable. Um, so we're hoping that that gets better, but that there's, there's a chance that that's a side effect that kind of sticks around and we'll just have to figure out how to navigate it, but we're, we're making it work. I mean, by and large, like she still seems pretty happy. Nothing has drastically changed in our lifestyle. We have to make sure she gets her meds at the same time and, you know, just pay attention to her stress capacity. But like, we're really so lucky. And that was part of the mess of emotions that I was feeling is like, I was so distraught about this but then I felt kind of guilty for being distraught because I was like well she's still here and she's still with us and like I shouldn't be so sad when by a, by a lot of metrics she's doing well and so then I was feeling sad but then I was feeling guilty about feeling sad and so then that was just making me more sad and it was like this whole ridiculous cycle and I've, I've mostly processed through that like we're really 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 lucky it's still okay to be sad and frustrated that this is happening. It sucks to see your dog have a seizure. It sucks to see the side effects, um, but it's, it's not the end of the world. So a balance of showing myself grace, but also keeping perspective. Like I'm not going to mope around for a month because my dog has epilepsy. Like there's a lot to be thankful for, but I'm also going to let myself, you know, as they say, feel the feels and <laughs> not force myself to like get over it too quickly. Um, but like, I think we're settling in. Like I'm, I'm mostly getting used to the reality at hand. And I mean, as much as the side effects are hard, it is after having so many incidents close together it must be nice to at least know that hopefully they're managed under control and you can see how that goes hopefully yeah the, the med she's on has an 80 percent success rate of controlling seizures by 50 percent which is like a convoluted way of saying that she probably will still have seizures but they should be fewer and further between and less intense um and so that's nice to know because yeah that pattern was really concerning the fact that they were so reliably getting so much closer together like finally we you know when they were even even when they were three months apart we had the talk oh. that like every time after she had one we, we talked to our vet and I, I love our vet team um but even three months that was like okay that's not that often that would be 
be like for a year if that was how it was. If she recovers quickly, like no big deal. But by the time it was about a month apart and it, you know, was visibly a worse episode, yeah. that's when it was, yeah, the, the cost benefit analysis shifted throughout as her symptoms changed. Yeah, of course. Oh, I can't even imagine. I've sat seizure prone dogs before and just had to be really careful and just like keep an eye on and just like have the training just in case but (laughs) never had to deal with it one-on-one and especially not with my dogs so I do feel for you I'm sure a lot of people listening have similar experiences so thanks for talking about it because I know Uh, it's very recent too so the, the adjustment is literally happening literally literally I do have to say I wish I would have known a little bit more about seizures before she had one so like if I could tell the average dog owner one thing like don't wig yourself out don't scare yourself I'm not trying to be dramatic but like familiarize yourself with just a high level of what a seizure can look like and what your actions should be because I think if I had had that during her first episode I would have been able to stay calmer like I did not know what was happening at all I literally thought that she was just like dying and so even this last one like it was objectively the worst of all of her seizures I still knew what to do and like I had my timer out and knew who to call and knew how long to watch for and those sorts of things um most people should never have to go through with this with their dog and there's no cause for concern but I'm now a huge proponent of just like baseline preparation just in case never hurts (laughs) yeah and I mean like you said it's not uncommon and it's not Mm -hmm. impossible and it but it also doesn't mean like the end of anything it is it is a symptom of whatever it's affiliated with and it's it is manageable yeah well thanks again for chatting about it if people were finding your account for the first time is there anything you would like recommend that maybe is on your blog or any other content you've created that you'd direct them to it's a great question um we do have a suggested reading page on our blog that just highlights I think there's like three articles on there that focus on topics really important to me. Um, And then I went ahead and I discovered the guides functionality on Instagram, which I didn't realize was a thing for a super long time. And so we have a handful of guides that compile related posts on central topics. So like we have one on advocacy um, and like making sure our dogs know we have their backs and there's one on reactivity and uh, a whole one on like human emotions and growth and processing. And so I would say probably like starting there for an idea of sort of the the core of who we are um, and, and what we believe in and how we approach dog ownership. I put out probably like too much unorganized content. So I, I'm happy I found those guys to like maybe sort of make it a little easier. Every once in a while, I remember a post that I wrote and I'm like, huh, I kind of want to revisit that. And then it takes me forever to find it. And I'm like, oh goodness, like there are a thousand posts on this account. How am I ever going to locate anything? So one thing about blogs versus Instagram is oh my god why does Instagram not make it easier to search like I know it is is a place where we all look for information but it's actually really really difficult to find it it's super hard and even though like I try to keep up the guides and we have story highlights that like I I try to keep them up to date every 
I don't know, maybe once a month or so, I sort of quickly tap through. Uh, but even then, it, it's imperfect. So yeah, like the blog, you can filter by categories, which is really convenient. Um, and there is a, you know, an actual search functionality, but I'm waiting for the day that Instagram lets us like search just within one account. That would be amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I feel you on that one. Going through your archives is always a long process. And are there other accounts that you are a big fan of and you want to shout out? Oh, goodness. Yeah. Apologies in advance because there's no way I'm going to remember everyone. And I, I, I hate the idea of hurting feelings. Um, but one in particular is my friend Caroline. She is at Dog Mom Mentality. I'm actually wearing her t-shirt right now. Um, she's a super great friend and puts out a lot of great content centered on mental health um, and, and how that coincides with dog ownership, which I think is really huge. Another one I just recently discovered in a similar vein is Handlers and Humans. So Handlers and Humans is in a similar vein. I really love focusing on the intersection of well-being for us and for our dogs. I think that is super, super huge. I think that's a topic I'm recently just so interested in as well. Like, I love that Jasper Handlers and Humans is like has a therapy background, because I just think now that I am in conjunction doing this dog content thing, living with my dog, going to therapy, I am just noticing that they are all linked together so intensely like the way I am I think affects my dogs more than whatever the hell they're doing yeah totally totally relate that's awesome we'll link those in the show notes for people to check out and oh yeah what is on your shirt for people who are listening oh yeah um it's these cute little heart illustrations and one of them says train your dog and one of them says play with your dog and I'm obsessed I got these shirts a week and a half ago, I got two of them from Dogma Mentality. And I have worn both of them. Like if I say how many times I've worn them both, you're going to think about how many days I've had them and you're going to be concerned about me, but they're very comfy and I love them a lot. <laughs> and when you work from home, it is whatever home. the hell you want to do. <laughs> yeah, there was a period of time where I think I just wore dog shirts for like months. It was just like, I bought, I ordered like five different ones and oh, yeah. rotated them. And I was like, I always am talking about dogs on my shirt. Yeah. Sean, Sean says that I don't own clothing that isn't dog themed. And like, he is mostly right. Like if it's yeah. not a sweater or like a shirt that is designed to be nicer. And so it has nothing on it. Like if, if it's a t-shirt, it is associated with dogs and I'm, I'm not upset about it. <laughs> now, same here. I think all my graphic tees are now only dog. I think I have yep. one that is my friend's business that is a dumpling. Those are like <laughs> two good things I love, dogs and dumplings. <laughs> I love it. Thanks for joining us today, Haley. Um, why don't you share your account and your blog uh, so people can find you? Yeah, thank you so, so much for having me. We are at pause period and reflect on Instagram, which was intentional because, you know, the period sort of forces you to pause after the word pause. And, and I love a good pun. And then our blog is pauseandreflect.blog. Amazing. Love a good pun in a username. <laughs> so I'm going to remember that one now. <laughs> I, I have no shame. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Rescue Dog Love is a project by Yamini Cohen, inspired by her rescue dog boss, who you can find on Instagram with his doggy sibling, Queenie, at Queenie and Boss. 
to keep up with the Rescue Dog Love podcast, you can follow us at rescuedoglove.com or at rescuedoglovepod on Instagram. See you next time.